Welcome, you're listening to a members-only broadcast brought to you by Barnabas Foundation, your trusted ministry partner for planned giving. And here's your host, Kurt Knoll, Director of Member Relations. This podcast comes to you from our September 2018 Best Practices in Plan Gift Marketing event we held at Calvin College. This is part of a four-part series from this event. In this episode, Nola Boyo from Cross International is going to be talking to you about impact storytelling. Here, Nola will share what impact stories are, why they're important, and share practical tips in helping you write your stories. So we've talked so far about how about about messaging you know how do you talk about planned giving and ways to um, speak to specific donor segments so now we're going to talk about a different type of communication and that is impact storytelling why tell impact stories well again um, your donors have the ability to change their mind and you don't want that to happen so you want to be able to keep them committed and you do that by showing, by, the stories will help them to, to uh, well, let me put it this way. Everybody, every, all of us here, everybody has a personal mission. They have a way, they, they have, they're with your organization because you are helping them to um, carry out their mission. So when you're, when you're telling stories, you're reminding the donor that here are some real examples of how you've been able to carry out your personal mission through our organization. And stories also, uh, because of just the nature of stories, they help you to connect to the donor and stories connect to the donor in a very emotional way, which makes them very personal and makes them feel, again, part of your organizational family. So uh, impact story is not a donor testimonial. Donor testimonials are very important and they have their place and you'll find, you can find more out about that on the you know, Barnabas website in your member section. Stories are not feature articles, they're not reports, they're not just a straight telling of the facts. Uh, impact stories are success stories and they show how your organization is making a difference in people's lives. Psych. They're actually showing, <laughs> showing how your donor is making a difference in people's lives. So what exactly is an impact story? Uh, well, according to Georgetown University Center for Social Impact Communication, the technical definition of a story, especially impact story, uh, is that one is one which chronicles a character who undergoes some change or transformation. And this is important because I want to tell you the background behind how this definition came about and we're going to actually break it down some. So uh, an organization called the Meyer, Myers Foundation was providing grants to all kinds of nonprofit organizations and different causes. And as the reports came back with the success stories, they found that some of those stories were really really powerful and really engaging and made them feel really good about the causes they were supporting and others not, just fell flat. And they're wondering, okay, what is the difference? They're, they're, all, they're, they're all filling out the same forms, they're all telling stories, what's the difference? And so first up, go to Google. Uh-huh, it's kind of like going to WebMD. They got thousands and thousands of you know, pieces of advice on, on what goes into a compelling story and none of them were actually definitive. So they hired, they, they um, commissioned the Center for Social Impact Communications to figure it out. 
And so the center uh, really just took a look at thousands of pieces of communication from um, a variety of different type of nonprofit organizations, and they came up with five fundamental components of effective stories. And so we're going to use that as a framework to, to walk through uh, telling impact stories. And we'll, we'll be bringing in some other fundamentals as well, but we'll be using those five components as a framework. So the first component is to have an effective character. Feature a single compelling character that's relatable to the audience and who is comfortable relating specific details, memories, and experiences. So we're gonna break this down. We are, okay, we are breaking it down now. <laughs> I went a little too far. Okay, so again, it's, your character is one individual. Primarily, the best ideal, so ideally it's your beneficiary. And when I talk about beneficiary, I'm talking about a beneficiary of your program, the beneficiary of your donor's dollars, not necessarily the beneficiary of your will. Okay, so that subject is the person who's really benefiting from your program. For example, the woman in this photo here was the beneficiary of a new roof. Um, you, if that, if, uh, or of inter interviewing the beneficiary is not possible, let's say you run an animal shelter or you know, an, an infant adoption agency or something. So that, what you can do is use other stakeholders, such as staff that are in the field as, for, as your character. What you don't wanna do is say, is make your organization the hero of the story. That's one of those don'ts. An effective character forges a bond with the reader. So your donor may not necessarily seem to have a whole lot in common with the subject of your story. They may not have been where, they, they may, have, may not have had the same experience that your, your donor, your subject is going through, but if you tell the story right, you're going to draw some connections. One of those is really to appeal to your common humanity, appeal to universal needs, such as the need for acceptance, belonging, and self-respect and uh, just let them know that what they're doing through their donor dollars is providing those um, universal, for those universal needs in the form of, let's say, hope or salvation or a second chance. There, you also make the character relatable to the reader or the, the I'm gonna say reading. We're talking about stories that can be seen or heard, but um, we're gonna just say read for to make it simple. Um, but you're gonna draw similarities to the donor. So is, is, the, is the character a mother or father? Are they a fellow alumni? So what, what commonalities may they have in common? And, or, is, or perhaps it's a circumstance. For instance, is it a natural, like if a natural disaster or something like that, uh, have the donor thinking, wow, this could happen to me. So you want to, to make them relatable. An effective character is charismatic yet authentic. And what that means is they, they may not be perfectly polished. They're not like a, a very trained spokesperson. However, they're willing and able to articulate exactly what happened, how they felt about it, the details, the memories, um, and their feelings. And this is ideally they have a trusted relationship with their interviewer. Sometimes that's not possible, and but if you, if, the person who's interviewing does not have a trusted relationship and are, is meeting that person for the first time, that you can have a staff person that 
that works with them, that they know that is trustworthy to facilitate that conversation. And then they're more willing to open up. So when you're writing about this character, this subject, make sure you make them three-dimensional. Do not just paint, them a picture, paint a picture of somebody that's solely based on need. So you want to, to really describe a, describe a three-dimensional person as, as flesh and bones, a, re, a real person. So when you're interviewing them, think about, just take notes uh, as you're asking questions. Take notes about their attitude, their body language. I mean, do they slouch? Are they shy? Are they cocky? Do they have a cutting sense of humor? Um, how do they dress? Do they have some, some personality quirks? Just ask them about other interests. You know, shoot the breeze for a while. Find out what comes up. And it helps all round out this person. Um, and another idea is to get other people's perspectives. Who else works with, these, with this person or lives with this person and find out what they say about them. And actually get quotes from other people about, the, about your subject. So while we're talking about having people talk about the subject and getting as much information as you can about them, um, just want to put on a little sidebar here to be sure that uh, in the context of the interview that you're addressing any kind of ethical or confidentiality issues. You know, find out, is it okay to use your name? Do we need to use a different name? How do we want, how, can we put your likeness in a, you know, can we use your photo on things or, and things like that. Second component is the trajectory, also known as the plot. Chronicle something that happens, such as an experience, a journey, a transformation, or discovery. And it doesn't necessarily need to be a linear sequential reca recounting every time. Um, linear, however, is the most common, and so we're gonna go through a linear plot just to talk about the different parts of what goes into a story, and then we'll talk about how to make it non-linear if that's what you sh should choose. So always talk about what was life like before they encountered your program. Illustrate the problem, really describe the, the life at that point, and then talk about how your beneficiary or how the participant connected with your program and how the challenges they were encountering were addressed with the donor's support so that the donor is actually part of that story. Then, then there's the after. You've talked about the before and during and after. What is the results of, the, of that beneficiary, of working with that beneficiary? What your actions or their actions? And what is life like now? And if it makes sense, have that, that subject talk about their hopes for the future. It's great to get it, it's best if you can get a direct quote where they're saying, well now things are, things are really so much better, I can actually hope to do such and such. And that's a really great way to um, finish up a story. Uh, so those, that's really the most chronological linear way of telling a story, which, are, which is always very effective, but you also have options to start in, somewhere else in the story, such as at the end point and flash back. Uh, you can, uh, or flash forward. For instance, you can talk about the end, you know, and describe an idyllic life and say, ha, but it wasn't always this way, and then tell the story about how it got there. So you have several choices when you're determining the kind of plot you're going, you know, how you're going to tell the story, what kind of trajectory, you know, where in the story you're going to start, are you going to tell it sequentially, or are you going to flash forward, are you going to flash back, are you going to start slowly? Are you going to, or are you going to build to a, to a frenzied pace? <laughs> um, or are you going to start quickly? And how were the issues resolved? What is life like now? 
And uh, if it makes sense, if you've had hiccups along the way, it's actually refreshing to actually talk about those. Um, and again, just as a part of the story and how those things were overcome, because you know, life isn't necessarily a fairy tale, but to talk about how you actually you know, maybe encountered some unexpected and got through them, that's, that's fine. So the third component is authenticity. That's when you show rather than tell about a character's transformation. Use rich details and, and feature the character's own voice devoid of jargon. So it's, so the way to, one way to show rather than tell is to let the character tell her own story, preferably in the first person, in her own perspective and in her own words. And avoid jargon. Some interviewees may be really tempted to impress you with the jargon that they've learned as, while they've been in their, your program. But if that happens, just tell them, you know, smile and nod, but, but tell them to actually tell, say, that, say that again, rephrase that in their own words, because that jargon tends to make it seem a little canned. Um, so this is an example of both authenticity and backing up a charismatic character. So let me just tell you what 12-year-old um, Farah told me. She said, there are three ways to get AIDS from your mom, from blood, and from unprotected sex. I got it from my mom. Now she was very savvy that she had been through, she was living in a, a program for, uh, in a home for um, children with, that have been affected or, or infected with HIV AIDS. And she, they were all very um, educated and informed about what was going on. And they even had outreach programs. They had like peer outreach programs to try to, uh, eliminate some of the stigma around that disease in the area. And she probably knew that the jargon was she caught it through mother-to-child transmission, because that's what you call it in the industry jargon. But she didn't. She was very frank, said, I got it from my mom. And she was very comfortable about talking about it. She was, uh, she was not embarrassed. She was not shy but she wasn't trying to impress either. She was very frank. She was, um, this girl was actually so outspoken about it and, com and confident and comfortable that the local radio station invited her to come in on their local talk radio to help build awareness in her community. So she really was ideal. But back to authenticity, um, you want to, in order to, sh to show and not tell, you want to paint a picture with words and engage all the senses. You want the donor or the reader to, to, re, to see and touch and taste and smell what's going on. So even as you're writing, just kind of put yourself in the picture and, and write about how you're, what you're sensing. Um, and by putting the reader in the scene, you, you're also, you can also use the present tense. And here's an example. As the door swings open, sun rays pour onto the cool cement floor. Dust-covered children trickle in, their voices bouncing off the high ceiling. So that's just an example of, say, present tense. So the reader is being plunked right into the story. And you can, there are a few senses there. So perhaps you feel the cool cement floor, or hear the voices bouncing off the ceiling like they are here. Um, and maybe you saw some dust in the, in the, the rays of sun. If you've painted your story well, if you've let the story unfold on its own, you, there is really no need to tell the donor what they should think about now. 
they, the readers should be able to extract any moral of the story or any, draw any conclusions. So I'm going, this is time to get onto a little soapbox of mine, where as we're talking about having, uh, eliciting the, you know, the, um, the interviewer's uh, impressions and, and talking to somebody who's outspoken and really painting a picture of their uh, circumstances, this is a good, just a reminder to just respect and protect the dignity of the people you're writing about. It's, it's, uh, there's such a fine line between painting a, a picture of dire need and urgent circumstances uh, and balancing that out with respecting the, the needs and, um, I mean, re respecting the dignity of the people you're writing about. And so there is actually a set of guidelines, I believe it's seven principles that are in your handbook that talk about here's, if you, if you follow these, then you're, you are respecting the dignity of your beneficiaries. And actually those are just principles that I just had mentioned that there's a fine line and it's, it's hard to walk that tightrope sometimes with the, the return on your marketing dollar and respecting the beneficiaries. But if you go to the Doches Code of Conduct on images and messages website, they actually have uh, downloadable guidebooks and a lot of resources on how to walk, to walk that fine line. This is an organization that actually originated in Ireland. I believe they started a movement back in the 80s when Ethiopia, there was in starvation, starvation in Ethiopia and there was some, a lot of exploitation of images going on. Um, it's, they've refined over the years and now we've got organizations that have, that have hammered out uh, this guide lays these seven principles and signed on. Uh, again, it's actually in Ireland, it's really being used you know, all over the country and now Europe's taking, kind of showing up and, and doing it now. It's still new in the US, but I think, I think it'll take on, I think it'll take off over, over, the, over the next years. But even if this bar is really high as, the, as it's described in their code of conduct, it still gives us something to work toward. Okay, so it's really just a reminder to keep that in mind. So I'm stepping off the soapbox now. The fourth component are action-oriented emotions. Convey emotions that move people to act and marry these with clear, easy-to-find pathways to get them to those desired actions. So emotion is important because it injects a human touch. And when you do that, you're evoking empathy. And empathy evokes acts of philanthropy. And, and emotions are also required for decision making. And we found that out because a, a professor of neuros, neuroscience found out that patients uh, from the University of Southern California found out that patients that had damage to the emotion center of their brain, getting into more brain science, um, were incapable of making any decision whatsoever. I mean, do you turn right, do you turn left, do you pick up the brush, do you pick up the, the comb, do you use the knife or your fork? No, just really frozen. No, you cannot make a decision whatsoever. You need emotion to some degree to make any kind of decision. And so um, you want to, uh, so you, evoking emotion helps any kind of donor be able to make a decision. And, it, and emotion as well helps you tell the story and helps you guide the story from um, being a passive, uh, reader or listener to being feeling actively uh, engaged in the story, an active participant of the story. Now, 
When I say active, you want to use active versus passive emotions. Active emotions were discovered by, I believe, Jonah Berger, who, an author who did some research who, who really wanted to find out what is it that makes a story go viral. And he did a bunch of research and found out that it all boiled down to one component. So it's, it is the physiological response to an emotion. And there are certain emotions that do evoke a physiological response. So if somebody actually felt a certain emotion, which were the active emotions of anger, anxiety, excitement, or awe, those emotions evoked a physiological response and those stories went viral. However, stories that evoked contentment and sadness actually would repress action, and, and those are the ones least likely to go viral. So when you're thinking about guiding a, a reader to a call to action, think about the, the type of emotions that you want to incur. But again, make emotions the path of the story, so you can bring the, the reader along from, from, you know, from before to after. So how do you, how do you evoke those action-oriented emotions in the reader? Well, again, you show rather than tell. Describe how the, the character feels about the situation. In fact, how, um, how the character feels about what transpired is actually more important than what actually transpired. It's really how it affected that um, subject. So for you to be able to tell that story, you can describe the look on her face, how she reacted to the, to the situation. And here, for example, let's say the person saw a look, the envelope on the table. That is no emotion. It's kind of meh, right? But if you describe the, the, the look, the, her reaction, she saw the envelope on the table and her heart sank. So you didn't say how she felt, but you described her reaction, which told you the emotion. Or she saw the envelope on the table, she saw the envelope and it flooded her with happy childhood memories. So you're feeling that emotion that, by describing her reaction. Better, let the character herself describe how she feels about the situation. I saw the envelope and my heart sank. So that's even the most, more powerful. So to get, to get these kinds of quotes, you need to be able to conduct a very effective interview, and that could be a whole nother <laughs> session in itself, but you have a handout. That's also created by the Center for Social Impact Communications that can tell you how to get those, those interviews and, and make them effective. So again, you are evoking action-oriented emotions that can guide the reader to a call to action, and so follow up. Make sure the reader has, has a place to act. And it's not necessarily always giving. It can be, um, you know, go here for more information, give us a call. Um, you know, it could be, could be different things. But let's look, we're in, we've gone to four out of five components so far. Let's look at this little few sentences and find out, I'm gonna, it's, gonna, it's quiz time actually, to see, to see what you can pick up so far. So I'm going to read this. Jan wakes up each day with no house, no income, no way to send her children to school, and no way to feed them. It breaks my heart that I could not provide for my children during those days after the earthquake, she says, and I still feel helpless because I can't provide for them. So what components do you recognize so far? So how, 
might a reader or a donor be able to relate to Jan? She's a mother. What about earthquakes? Anybody here live in earthquake territory? There's the it could happen to me factor. This, this paragraph is being told in the present tense and Jan is talking about how she feels and she's telling it in her own words. The fifth component is a hook. Capture the audience's attention as quickly as possible, giving them a sense of whose story it is and what's at stake. So these days, especially, readers have very short attention spans. So you want to hook the reader within the first 10 seconds or 28% of text on a page. Lead them with a sense of urgency. So the donor is actually picked up your, your, when they're starting to read, they're like, okay, I'm giving you a chance. You got a shot here. Make me care. Make me want to know what's going to happen next. So you want to immediately you know, just grab them, give them a sense of whose story it is, what's happening, and what's at stake. Drop your reader into the middle of the story. So, for example, Lita watched helplessly as corrupt police pushed his barbed wire bound gangmates off the dock to drown. He was next. He desperately struggled against the painful bonds and began to take deep, panicked breaths in anticipation of plunging underwater. But just as he was about to fall in, the police sergeant yanked him back. I'll make a deal with you, he said. So do you care what happens next? Are you hooked? And that was the beginning of the story. So that's the idea. So just to review, five components of an effective story are an effective character, such as one that, is, that um, appeals to universal need, is relatable, is charismatic yet authentic, uh, is three-dimensional, yet authentic, is three-dimensional, is not, and is not the organization. And a, a, the trajectory, so are you gonna make the plot linear or non-linear? Uh, are you going to, you need to make the decisions of, you know, where and when the, the thank you so much. Where uh, uh, and when to start, what kind, uh, are you gonna flash forward, are you gonna flash back? Um, where, whether, or how to, how are you going to resolve the story, and are you going to include any setbacks along the way? Then there's authenticity. So being able to have the character tell, the, tell her own feelings and her own story, um, avoiding jargon, things like that, and action-oriented emotions of anger, anxiety, excitement, awe, and uh, making sure to lead with a sense of urgency within the first 10 seconds or 28%. So before we move on, we just have a few more minutes. I'm going to just briefly give a high-level overview of a four-part organizational storytelling strategy that can really inculcate storytelling into your organization. So first of all, you want to start off with basically a plan. Plan your work and work your plan, right? So have an editorial calendar so you know that what your upcoming needs and themes are. And determine for each piece that you're gonna create throughout the year, what the purpose, what exactly do you uh, hope to accomplish with that piece? What is your call to action for each of them? Then, so that's planning out your stories. You also want to have a way to collect the story. So this, we're talking about kind of an infrastructure here. So you can have story intake forms. What Cross has done in some of the cases is we have, uh, we have reports that come back from the field anyway, so we added a section to um, be able to include beneficiary stories that are sent in from the field. 
um, so, but have some forms to collect. And then have a place to file those forms in an internal story bank, uh, so uh, uh, such as an electronic file folder that everybody in the organization can access. So that's preparing to collect, to have stories. So now you're gonna produce the stories. Decide who is going to collect them. Are they going to be staff in marketing department? Are they gonna be staff in the field? Are they gonna be beneficiaries or alumni sending in the stories themselves? Or are you gonna hire people to come and collect them? And sometimes it might be all of the, the above throughout the year depending on what the purpose is of your communication pieces. Also determine what format they're gonna be written in or they're gonna be created in. Are they gonna be written? Are they gonna be podcasts? Are they gonna be videos? I would say, all of the above. Uh, break out the pen and the, and the recorder and have the camera going uh, all at once if you can while you're collecting, doing these interviews. Then create the story using the five components we talked about. And once they're created, have a way of cataloging them. So different categories that make sense to your organization. At Cross International, we have a category for miracle stories, uh, for um, dramatic tra spiritual transformations, for spirit, uh, inspirational leadership, and then we have kind of a general, a general bucket for the, the success stories. But whatever makes sense to your organization, and put them in that story bank to where uh, the organization can, anybody in the organization can access them. Because they end up coming out in speeches um, and things like that. Then distribute. You want to share them across multiple channels, and you can take different stories and even tweak them throughout the year. So they may be repeated, but they might go on different platforms or kind of be made to fit different themes throughout the year. Uh, just determine what's appropriate uh, for, uh, some of them may not be appropriate or may only be appropriate for certain channels depending on um, the strength of the hook or the length of the story as well. The fourth part is to evaluate. So at the beginning when you were talking about assigning a call to action of each of your pieces, also put in place a way to measure the effectiveness, measure and evaluate those CTAs. Um, it's very much, it's easy to do on online when you're talking about email open rates or number of downloads or you know, page views and things like that. Again, it's not always how much money came in. Um, then share your results with the organization. And I would actually say share your stories with the organization as well as the results because people start recognizing the effectiveness of stories and that's, what, that's how you're gonna end up growing a storytelling culture. So to recap, to uh, inculcate storytelling into your organization, plan, produce, distribute, and evaluate. Welcome, you're listening to a members-only broadcast brought to you by Barnabas Foundation, your trusted ministry partner for planned giving. And here's your host, Kurt Knoll, Director of Member Relations.